Hey everyone, welcome to episode 138, Feeling Good Enough as a Parent. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, don't you love our catchy titles? And today I'm gonna talk about something that happened to me because I know you all love hearing the stories behind the stories and We had our family pictures done with an amazing photographer. And of course, we're just waiting on pins and needles. Actually, I was the only one waiting. David and the kids were like, okay, yeah, whatever. But I couldn't wait to see them. He took probably 40 pictures. And it just so happens that I was at my sister's son's soccer game when they came through on email and text. And he sent me the link. And so my sister and I and my brother-in-law were all looking at them over my shoulder. And I was ripping myself apart. I love the pictures, but the way I was talking and I was saying out loud because I feel so safe with my sister. My brother-in-law was kind of half listening and all the pictures, it was all just picking myself apart. Like the mean girl was out. You know how the, we talked about mastering the mean girl? The mean girl was out and about. And I can be very vulnerable with my sister. I can literally, I have two sisters and they're like my left and right arm and I feel very safe with them. So this is things that you probably heard sitting behind me at the soccer game. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at my huge forehead. Ew, my face looks so big there. What's wrong with my arm? I look so fat. What is happening? These are, okay, I like that one, but it was literally, I would look at every picture. I'm like, am I a narcissist? <laughs> because every picture... I was looking at myself more than I was looking at the other three beautiful humans in the picture and they all looked amazing in all the pictures. I was like, this is crazy. And Molly like hit me and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, do you have body dysmorphia? And I'm like, what? That sounds serious. What in the world? Lily told her friends one time that she had scoliosis and she said it was at the lunch table and like she felt like the cafeteria just like, you know, like when the record stops in a DJ and the record just like screeched and everyone's like, you have scoliosis because it sounds so serious. I'm like, body dysmorphia, that sounds serious. And she goes, I don't really think you do, but you're on the continuum. And I was like, oh, so I Googled it. And it says a mental illness involving obsessive focus on a perceived flaw in appearance. I was like, I'm mentally ill? Oh no. And what she was saying to me, now the word sounds scary and I never want to trivialize the word or... Like if I call David OCD, I never want to trivialize the mental illness of what OCD is or a word like dysmorphia. I don't want it to be triggering. Sometimes we have to take words and just look at them of like what it really means and get underneath it and see words like that on a continuum. And I was definitely on the continuum because I was literally the mastering the mean girl. There was such a mean girl out. She was literally punching me in the face. And my sister was watching it happen. And that's when she looked at me. She's like, what? You have a problem. You have some serious issues. I'm like, I know I do, don't I? So then like the nice girl started to come out. I'm like, okay, look at, okay. And so I thought, wow, that was so fascinating how my brain went there so fast. As soon as I got the pictures, all I was thinking about is how bad I was going to look in all of them versus like, find the good, Kelly, like practice what you preach, girl. And it made me think about this is what we spend so much time is having parenting dysmorphia where 
we think we're a bad parent or we think we're a mean parent or we think we're an awful parent or we think we're a loser parent. And then we go and find evidence for that of being true. So just like we talk about how we talk to our kids, it has to be uplifting and loving and focusing on what they're doing right versus what they're doing wrong. And how we talk about in the beginning, just like we talk about the way we talk to our kids when they're little, they're being aware of how we're speaking to them and what we're saying about them because that becomes their inner voice. Then they start to believe anything and everything we tell them, like elementary, beginning of middle school. And then they start becoming whatever they believe that they are. And we can see that in our kids. Just like when I had first graders, I would tell them on the first day of school what amazing readers they were. Some of them didn't even know their letters and sounds in the first day of first grade. But I told them every day what an amazing reader they were because they were trying so hard and the effort was what I was focusing on. And so they started to believe that they were good readers. And so they started to become really strong, proficient readers because they have to believe it first. You have to see it to believe it is also you have to feel it to believe it. And so the same thing works about our own relationship with ourselves and our opinion of ourselves. Because so many times when I'm working with moms and dads face-to-face, on Voxer, on email, it's most parents thinking they're a horrible parent for XYZ reason. And then they're telling me all the evidence of the reason why. And then they're using their children as a pawn to prove everything they just told me. They'll say, well, I'm a horrible parent because my child does X, Y, Z. I'm a loser parent because my child acted in this way or said this thing or did this thing at school or vandalized this property or whatever it is from little to extreme. A lot of times we as parents use our kids as evidence to prove how we feel about ourselves as a parent. So it all starts with how we feel about ourselves as a parent first And then we'll find more evidence for that. And what if it can both be true? That's why so many of you love the B-minus parenting and the strainer parenting because it takes the pressure off of you and off of your shoulders to be a certain way. But I can promise on a stack of Bibles, if you're listening to this podcast and you're worried about being a good parent, it already puts you in the bucket of being a good parent. Like Glenna Melton says all the time, she says, don't be so worried about raising a good kid and then forget that you already have one. The same thing goes for you as a parent. And we can alter that to our own opinion of ourselves of don't be so worried about being a good parent and then forget that you already are one. Then you become more of that and then you find evidence of that. Most of my time I spend with parents is lifting them up, praising them, reinforcing them, of something that is already true. But those words fall on deaf ears if they don't believe it first. Just like we have to focus on what they are doing right as kids, we have to do the same thing about ourselves, what we are doing right as parents. We create the rubric for parenting because people say, well, what makes a good parent? It's 120% made up. There is no rubric. Where it gets sticky and tricky is that we use our kids as our rubric. We use our kids as a barometer for how we're doing. We use our kids as our progress report, as our report card. It's like they're doling out the grades and we're using them as our measuring stick. We're using them as our benchmark. People email me all the time and say, is it normal that my kid does? And then before they even get out XYZ, I'm like, yep. How do we know it's normal? Because your kid is doing it. There's nothing wrong with your child. We can't use them to measure our worthiness and our wholeness because we're always going to come up empty because that's not their job. That's not their responsibility, nor can they do it even if they wanted to. 
And the crazy part is they tell us and show us every single stinking honking day, especially when they're little. I mean, they pick up a piece of grass and they're like, I love you. Look, I gave you this piece of grass to show it. They are just nothing but love. They ooze it. They're modeling for us unconditional love. We have to do nothing to deserve it. We have to do nothing to earn it. They're not using us as a barometer. They're not using us as a report card. They love openly, freely, abundantly, and all the time. Think about all the love notes you've gotten, all the pictures they've drawn, all the hugs they've given, all the times they want to be with you. I was watching a true crime and it was about a boy who was like 14 or 15 and he wanted desperately to be with his dad. And the police officer was like, wait, when you're in the foster home setting, it's a very loving, secure place. Why do you want to be with your dad? Because when you're with your dad, you're doing drugs and you're robbing places and you're getting in all sorts of trouble and you're becoming burglars together. And he's like, as long as I'm with my dad. I mean, obviously he was very brainwashed, but that was such an extreme example. Our kids love us no matter what. There's no conditions. It's just open, wide, open, unconditional love. It's kind of like our pups. If you have any dogs, we love our dogs. And sometimes they chew the shoes. Sometimes they chew the carpet. Sometimes they chew the couches. Sometimes they bark at a random fly that goes by. But our love doesn't ever change for them. So the reflection in which we're seeing ourselves has to be one of love, abundance, worthiness. And we're not using our kids to get any of that from them. They can't give it, nor it's their responsibility. And they will just prove what we already believe about ourselves. So Kelly can say it, your mother-in-law can say it or not say it. Your mother can say it, your father can say it, your spouse can say it, your kids can even say it. But it falls on deaf ears and it goes in one ear and out the other if you don't believe it yourself first. That's why this journey in parenting, your children are teaching you and teaching us where we need to grow and where we need to evolve and where we need to develop, but not from a place of lack, but from a place of, oh, I'm separate from you. I don't need anything from you, sweet child, to make me feel worthy and whole. I already have that gift. So now because I'm worthy and whole, I'm going to give that gift to you of worthiness and wholeness that you don't need to do anything to earn it, deserve it. Because our unconditional love, we get straight A's. But our kids and our spouse will bring up all our stuff that was laying dormant. I did not know this until I embarked on this journey. Because my students at school didn't bring anything up for me. Even David, before we had kids, didn't bring anything up for me, anything major. It's kind of like when I was playing soccer in college and in high school, I would have injuries. Now, when you're playing sports, there's a difference between injuries and there's a difference between being hurt. Being hurt is like, I'm feeling hurt. I'm meeting with the trainer. I'm pushing through. I'm going to play through the pain. You're trained very young to no pain, no gain. Pain is weakness leaving your body. It's really kind of crazy when you think about it. Ignore the pain and just play through it. But sometimes you're injured and you can't even walk to the locker room, much less play in a 90-minute soccer game. So you're injured. I've pulled many quads. I've pulled many groins. It's usually in my left leg for some reason. I think my right leg was stronger. And so my left leg was trying to keep up. Those were the muscles that I was always being pulled. I felt like I would hear them snap in the middle of a game and I'd be out. And so just recently, I've been lifting a lot heavier weights because my friend Catalina was like, Kelly, when you lift and you're doing lower body, you have to lift much heavier. And I'm like, really? Okay. So I did it. And oh my goodness, all these old injuries are coming back. They're not injuring me, but I can feel them. I'm like, ooh, I remember that hamstring. Yeah, that was laying dormant. It's kind of laying in the background. And so our kids and our spouse will bring up all that old stuff that we never really healed completely. And it might come back as being hurt or it might be coming back as being injured. So that's why you know when your reaction doesn't fit the crime, so to speak, that's when you get curious about the dormant injury or the dormant pain or the dormant 
hurt that you had. Now I'm talking about physical with hamstrings and quads and groins, but the same analogy happens with our emotional pain from things that have happened to us. It could be when we were in our 20s. It could be when we were in high school, middle school, elementary school. Strainer parenting, it's different for all the people. I come from one of three girls. We all had very different experiences raised in the same house with the same parents and going to the same schools for the most part. But all three of us have a much different and varied experience. How is that possible? Because it's the lens in which we were going through life. It was also how we were experiencing life. One sister was on the drill team. Another sister was on the softball team. Another sister was on the soccer team. All three of us had a myriad of vast experiences that molded us and shaped us. We have different injuries. We have different joys. We have different pains. We have different traumas. We have different experiences altogether. And so what comes up for me is going to be different from what comes up for my two sisters. Now that's three people living in one house. So imagine what's coming up for your spouse. What's coming up for you is very different than what comes up for me or your neighbor or your greedy greedy grandpappy. So when we know that, we can open up to the experiences versus trying to shut it down and something's wrong with us or something's wrong with our kids or something has gone wrong, period, or our kids are messed up or we're messed up or they're abnormal or they're different or there's something wrong with them. It's kind of like when my kids were little, my doctor said, if they have a fever and they're not in any discomfort, you don't want to give them Tylenol or Motrin unless they're really uncomfortable or they can't sleep. And I was like, really? Fevers scare me. He said, no, the fever is actually the body's way of fighting back against the bad guys. So use them as a reference point. And if they're in a lot of discomfort, then you can give them the Motrin or Tylenol. But the fever is not something to be feared of and not something to be suppressed with medicine because the more that you feel the fever, the body will do what the body's supposed to do, fight off the bad guys. And that's what the fever is doing to fight off the bad guys and they'll get better faster. I was like, wait, what? They'll get better faster? He said, yeah, because you're not suppressing the fever, so to speak. So the fever gets to do the fever's job. Same thing with our pain and our trauma and our injuries. When we were hurt, we lean into it. We're not scared of it. It's a vibration going through our body. We see what comes up for us. We're not suppressing it. We're not pushing it down. Then it passes faster. Then we can unravel the pain, trauma, injury separate from our kids, separate from our spouse. And we're not doing it through them and end up re-injuring ourselves over and over and over. So remember, if you're listening to this, you're already valuable, you're already worthy, you're already whole. You were given that the day you were born and your kids and your spouse can do nothing to change that. Even if your spouse leaves you, even if your spouse cheats, even if your spouse yells awful things, they still can't touch your worthiness and your value. No one can take that from you. That was given to you the day you were born. That is more a reflection of something that he or she is feeling about them projected onto you. When you see it for what it is, then you can make boundaries if need be, but you don't let it mean something about you and about your worthiness and your value. Same with your kids. They have their own free will. And what they do or don't do has no reflection of you and your worthiness and your wholeness. We're all B minus C plus people shooting for the A and sometimes we do and sometimes we get D's and F's. But even the report card, whatever the report card says, we are in charge of the report card. When we step into emotional adulthood, our parents can't send us to bed without supper. We can't go to the principal's office. We can't serve Saturday detention or repeat a class in summer school because we got an F in the class. We step into emotional adulthood and we realize we are now in charge of the reins of our life. Not the principal, not your parents, not your teacher, not your greedy, greedy grandpappy. You are in charge of you. 
You are much bigger and greater than the grades that you got in a report card. Just like you're much bigger and greater than the report card that you're giving yourself right now, because I can guarantee you, most people are giving themselves Ds and Fs. And then when they do well in a certain area, like they handle a tantrum and they hold the space, they will always have a qualifier or a semicolon or parentheses. They'll say something to themselves like, ooh, I handled that tantrum pretty well. I was able to hold the space, dot, dot, dot. Well, that was an event, not a pattern. Next time, I'm sure I'm going to blow up like I always do. So what I learned from my friend Shar is using the period at the end. No ellipsis, no parentheses, no semicolon. I handled that tantrum like a boss, period. Do you see how much more empowering that is versus dot, 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 ellipsis, semicolon, parentheses? All those disclaimers, all those qualifiers negates all of it. When you step into emotional adulthood, you step into the calm, assertive pack leader energy that you're supposed to have and you already have. You already know you're an amazing parent. You're listening to this. You're reading the books. You're doing all the things. You have to believe it first, then you become it, and then you project that onto your kids. This is the greatest work of our lives, and it's worth every single second of facing the injuries, facing the pain, walking through it, feeling it separate from our kids, not through our kids and spouse, because then we don't end up re-injuring them through the process, which re-injures ourselves. It's like double jeopardy. So focus on the good in you, then you'll find more good in all the people around you. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.